Welcome back to Shredder's Not Dead. If they make you bang your head, we'll talk with them or about them. And I'm joined today by Phil from Wathrosh. I hope I've pronounced that correctly. Yep, that is 100% correct. Beautiful. How are you doing today? What's been going on? Yeah, I'm good. I just had to uh, run a couple of errands this morning. Um, Stuck uh, a little bit in traffic, but, you know, it's the usual everyday bullshit, I guess. Um, But other than that, had my daily dose of caffeine, so ready to go. Brilliant. All right, well, we'll get talking about music. Um, On listening to Arthrush, I get this really interesting mix of influences, and it's obvious that, you know, some of them are drawn from uh, places that people who listen to black and death metal might be very familiar. There's also a lot of flavors in there going on that I think might be from outside of that. So, um, yeah, I suppose if uh, if you'd like to, I'd like to dig into some of the influences and, and your musical background in general. Um, yeah. I mean, look, when we, uh, when we first got together and we started writing for this project, we didn't really talk about musical direction at all. Um, the main sort of common theme that, in the first place got us together was we wanted to create something that was extreme, not just extreme sounding, but like the whole atmosphere. We wanted to present to people an extreme uh, experience. So, I mean, about like the the, the musical influences, like you said, uh, you got your, you know, we have black metal in there, death metal influences, uh, a little bit of doom. I know there's a a lot of people calling us uh, sludge black metal, uh, I'm, I didn't. I can't really say that we uh, we're. I mean, we like sludge metal, but we didn't really think about a sludge direction. We we mostly consider ourselves to have more doom uh, like um, influences. But um, as far as personal influences go, you know, I see behind you. You have a a, a Thy Art Is Murder uh, poster, uh, and for me personally, uh, Thy Art Is Murder has been a huge influence, especially CJ with his vocals. Um, mm. But a- apart from that, you know, I can I can talk about my death metal influences or my black metal influences. But I know that you said let's you know let's talk a little bit about outside of those. Um, you know, the thing with Vothrosh is it's not just a we're not just a musical project. We're one hundred percent a band that wants to present an experience and within that experience we have a lot of influences that are outside of the music world and uh cinema and film is an area that we draw a lot of inspiration from um so my guitar player nasos he is a sound designer so especially Mm. himself when he composes um he's he's not so interested in composing in, in traditional sort of like structure or form, like you have your verse, your intro, your chorus. He mostly thinks about in the way that you would score a film. And I think that's apparent when you listen to our music. It's There's a lot of cinematic elements, you know, especially with some of the longer tracks on the record. Um, so I think apart from our musical influences, there are stuff from uh, the film, um, you know, um, a world that definitely has inspired us. But if you hmm. want to get more specific, like, you know, I've talked about my influence, my personal influences, obviously, you know, Septic Flesh is a big one. Um, Anal Nathrock, another huge influence of mine. Um, Trypticon, Celtic Frost, of course. So there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff in there, 100%. Uh, but we don't consider ourselves 
like a, a death metal band or a black metal band. We we just want to give ourselves uh, the label of, of of an extreme project, you know. Mm. Yeah, I think it's human nature to want to put things in categories, and I've seen a lot of people trying. Um, I think the sludge metal influence is a big one, and a similar band um, in a sorry, not a similar band to you, but uh, Manta from Germany get similarly yes. throwing sludge at them a lot. And honestly, I think it comes a little bit into sound production choices in that you both, although with very different outcomes, use really dense, very almost claustrophobic layerings of guitars and bass um, to the point where things start resonating as if they've got orchestral strings in them. It's something I really, really love. Um, Bolzer from um, Switzerland do a similar thing with 12-string guitars. Um, and I think people maybe outside of the world of sound production jump on that and go, oh, it's sludge because it sounds sludgy and dense, not realizing that that in itself has a rich history of, you know, um, fuzz pedals and doom influences and things that are more specific. Um but yeah, look, that was another thing I wanted to touch on is that this record sounds huge. Um and you know, without giving away too many of your secrets, what were some of the, the uh what were some of the things that you did to make that happen? Obviously, um, you know, just to touch upon your first um like the first question, I think it's all it's almost kind of like a Venn diagram, you know, the, the world of of, of sludge and doom there are so many overlapping themes that i think it's easy for people to to get caught up and mixed up with with labeling or you know genre like um uh yeah tags and all of that stuff uh but i get what you're saying about dance guitars for us that was mostly like doom since we're talking about uh genres uh but hey you know if people want to call it sludge i'm not gonna you know i'm not gonna oppose them you know they can call it whatever the fuck they want. And it's, it's still, you know, good for me as long as the message is, is getting across. And what you said is exactly the message. You know, we wanted to present something that was thick, huge, and almost kind of like intimidating to a certain degree. Um, now with regards to production, um, it's not a secret. Like we partnered up with who I think is one of the most up and coming extreme producers, George Emanuel. You know, uh, he's the guitar player of uh, Loose First Child and the mastermind behind that band. He used to tour and was a member with uh, legendary Greek black metal band Rotting Christ for almost nine years. And he's done some incredible production stuff um, for for a lot of well-known bands, not just in the underground scene. For example, um, he recently did, you know, Alvaro from Watain. He has a side project, uh, Zalpin. He did the production on that. Uh, he's done the last three or four um, Ajerodas uh, records. So he's 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 extremely talented. He's got an, a, an incredible ear. And I think his contribution, you know, he was almost like the fourth member of this of this project. So, you know, his input was um, was, you know, his influence was was incredibly uh, huge and influential in in the final sort of outcome. Um, now, if you want to get more technical with engineering stuff, um, do. you can. Well, you can definitely hit him up because I'm not I'm not an engineer, but <laughs> I can tell you something. I can tell you something. You know, when a production sounds good, it usually it means well. At least for me, it means two things. One, 
uh, talent. But secondly, and most important is work ethic and attention to detail. And I think because talent is a little bit, you know, it's subjective along with whether you like something or not, but work ethic and attention to detail are 100% objective. And with this record, uh, we took our time. We were very patient. You know, we started this project um, and the production of this album, what was it, late 2019? So it took us well over, you know, two and a half years. Um, mind you, you know, there was COVID as well, but we really like paid attention to detail and we were very patient because we, you know, like my guitar player, myself, we all had bands before this. This is not our first band. And we've made mistakes before during production because we were either eager to get it out or, you know, uh, but this time around, you know, because we had on our hands uh, uh, material that almost begged for, you know, taking care of it appropriately, spending time with it and, um, you know, paying attention to every little detail, almost to the point of becoming, you know, obsessive about it. Mm. Um, and George, you know, he, he is, he fits that profile as a producer 100%. So I think that's what, that's what made the production um, so big, big sounding. But, you know, with these things, it's almost like, um, it's again, subjective. Some people might think it's a little bit too polished. Other people, you know, it's, you know, th there are objective criteria and subjective criteria with production. It boils down to taste 100%. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's this other ethos, I guess you would say, with production in similar genres. And uh, another band, I think, that do it similarly, but again, with different outcomes, is um, Ulcerate, the New Zealand, uh, I think they call themselves technical death metal, but it's it's a similar thing, right? You have to have it clean enough that the technicality and the detail can shine through, but either the writing or the production, and sometimes both, are at such an extreme level that it becomes overwhelming and starts to break up and hiss and crack. And you've got this, um, you know, yourselves do it really, really, really well. I think, um, uh, yeah, it's a real balancing act, I think, between letting individual parts shine through. But some people's palettes, I guess, who might listen exclusively to the true Norwegian black metal. Nothing wrong with that. I'm a big fan of mayhem and all the whatever whatever true means anyway these days. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there are people out there who'll be yelling at me, mayhem aren't true black metal anymore. Yada yada yada. But look, point is, uh, it's a real balancing act, and I think you guys strike it really well. Um, do you feel actively while this is being produced that this balancing act uh is going on, or is it something that you look back on and it's just a product of the steps that you have to take anyway, if that makes sense. Well, let me just start out by uh, shouting out uh, Ulcerate, Stare Into Death and Be Still. It's still 100% uh, a piece of art that is extremely influential for me, um, mm. not just musically, but also if you take a look at their uh, the video clips they did, especially for Dissolve Orders, uh, I think they partnered up with Ben Sora. Uh, incredible band. Um I think it's one of those records that are um, just monumental, you know, just a, a, an amazing balance of extremity and thickness and, and all of that stuff. So, you know, massive shout out to, to Ulcerate. Um, I don't think, you know, when I look back at the, uh, the production process, 
we weren't we weren't really thinking about directions or or you know how are we going to make this sound uh, brutal or we just you know it's going to sound banal or cheesy but we just literally recorded you know what we wanted to record and you know when I was recording vocals with with George I wasn't really thinking I was what I was thinking was my performance so I wasn't really uh, channeling any influences, I was thinking about my delivery. It was almost kind of like I stepped away from being a vocalist and becoming uh, almost like an actor. So it was mostly kind of delivering. Uh, it was kind of like acting. Um, but I don't think, you know, because obviously that was like t- two years ago. So it's kind of hard to, to go back to that place. Uh, but we weren't really thinking about balancing things or you know intentionally going down a specific route you know we had um we had spent a good amount of time on pre-production so when the time came to present the stuff to george um we were already in a in a decent place that you know we knew what we wanted to do um and like i said before the main theme and the thing that got us all together, especially in the first place, but also during production was, you know, extremity. Let's present something extreme, but also in a way, um, not redefine what extreme means, but extreme is not just fast. It's not massive guitars. You know, it can be uh, sort of like a, a very dramatic delivery on instrumentation, let's say the voice or the guitars. So it's not necessarily, it's like, Let's present to people and to the audience what we consider to be extreme, not just sonically, but also visually as well. And I think that's the common um, element that is still driving this project and for future efforts as well. Hmm. Moving away a little bit from the uh, the technicalities and a little bit more into the conceptual, um, Odium has this uh, underlying uh, discussion of the human condition, I think you've said. Um and I would never ask you to unwrap the meaning or give specific uh, points to an album. I think that it's up to interpretation in the listener, of course, to uh, sort of insert their own meaning or rather use their own worldview to view something and then make a, a critical decision on it. Um, what I am interested in, though, is, is if this philosophical topic is something that's quite uh, important to you, if there's a particular... Uh, angle that you feel really strongly about, or is it more um, that a, a byproduct of often being into the genre of music is being constantly exposed to these ideas and it's just sort of being um, not just what you write about as a black or death metal band, but it goes with the territory, so to speak. Yeah. So when we first got together and we started writing uh, the material musically, um it just so happened that we never really talked about lyrical direction. That was something that I decided to sort of like, you know, take the reins and and steer that ship sort of myself. And it just so happened that I was at a point in my life back then that what I really wanted to talk about was the things that either I was experiencing on a personal level uh, and things that I was experiencing mentally, physically, but also things that I was sort of experiencing in the outside world and obviously, you know, interpreting those through my own prisms um, in, in a way. 
So it just so happened that I wanted to talk about these things. Um, also, I think Odium is a product of, of its time. This was a record that, you know, we started pre-production 2018 and it ended up being released 2023, like in, in January. So like that's, that's a five year, uh, time, like time gap. And, you know, so many different things happen, not just for us personally, but on a global level as well. So, you know, um, through this sort of like five year time, like time frame, like we, we had like, you know, breakups, uh, we had, uh, people passed away, uh, family members, uh, there was a, a global pandemic. So I think obviously being inspired as well from the material sonically, um, it just so happened that I wanted to, to channel all of these things that I was experiencing and the things that I felt that my my bandmates were experiencing as well and, and you know, write about it. So essentially what it is, is Odium, it, it mostly touches upon themes of anxiety, uh, paranoia, uh, darkness, uh, sorrow, things that everyday people get to experience, but not a lot of people talk about, or they don't want to talk, like touch upon or talk about. We just, we just did. It's almost the experience of Odium is lyrically. That is, is almost kind of like lifting a mirror in front of you. And, you know, at first you look at yourself, but then the deeper you look, it's kind of like you're peeling away the layers and eventually while well, you reach the center um, or what is like the, the nucleus and what mm. we, and what we, what we ended up looking at was something that, you know, we, we didn't really like. So at its very core, Odium is, is, uh, uh it's, it's almost like a, a misanthropic, uh, declaration. Um, but, but as I said, you know, with this project, it's not like, you know, we're, we're a band that, oh, that's what we're going to talk about on our next album or, we just talk about things that we feel like talking about, or we play the type of music that we want to play. Like if people are expecting an Odium part two for our next album, well, they're, they're in for a surprise. So, mm. and that's like, but, but the one thing that I can guarantee people is that anything that we put out, whether that is musically or visually, it's going to be extreme. 100%. Look forward to it. So, Vithrosh, um sort of bucks trend a little bit in that, um, you, know, you know, you've said in other interviews that there's no immediate uh, intention or no immediate urge to go and perform live. Uh, I suppose that's very different to a lot of modern bands that almost see album writing as a rite of passage to going on tour. Um, and I, I respect that. There's a lot of bands, I think, that are almost athletic in their, the way that they deliver live shows. I'm a huge fan of Cannibal Corpse, but I definitely think that there's an aspect of what they do live that is critical to the art. Um, and I don't necessarily think that that yet exists with uh, with your band. And it's really intriguing that it's this really beautiful thing. Um, I, I don't mean this is a criticism, but I'm curious as to uh, if... You all felt this way when the band was formed, or if it's just uh, a product of what inspired you to form the band in the first place. Um, how did you all come to the decision to sort of focus on 
like you said earlier, delivering a, a almost a theatrical piece of music with no intention to go uh, hit the road with it. Well, the the thing with um, the thing with our project is that um, wow, there are so many things that you touched upon there that I just gotta gotta formulate the right sentences. <laughs> um, let's start. Let's start with the live um, element for us. Um, at first, we didn't really think about you know, approaching the question of, are we going to be performing live or not? That was something that we ended up deciding on uh, because honestly, we wanted to focus more on creating art rather than presenting that art in the traditional live element. What gets us really inspired and what gets us very excited is to do things that more traditional extreme acts are not doing at the moment. So, um, we, we'd much rather spend time and focus our creative energies on doing things outside of the traditional realm of what a, a band does these days, which is what you said. You know, you write an album, you produce it, you release it, you go on tour, you know, and then you go back to the studio again. It's kind of like a cycle. And I understand why a lot of bands do it. I can, I can tell you there's very little bands that enjoy doing that in that time frame, but mm. it's necessary if you want to earn a living, you know? So, um, for us, it was mostly like focusing on other things that require a lot of energy, um, that live bands don't really have that energy left because, you know, setting up tours, setting up, you know, uh, lives and all of that, it's, it's, it's almost as a, a big element as producing an album. Um, so, there are a few things that we are preparing for the future that are going to make a lot more sense, which I can't reveal right now. Uh, but we're working on some projects that will actually sort of support what I'm saying right now that we'd much rather spend our time focusing on other things that help us sort of fortify that element of, um, of that almost being like an art collective, not just being a band, a traditional band. Um, I don't have anything against, obviously, a live setting, but I don't think we are the project um, for that. Um, and our music being cinematic, it almost begs for a different experience. I'm not closing any doors on a future sort of show, but I'd much rather do a one-off show um, at some point in the future rather than being this live band, just because... Being a live band these days is so draining that I'd much rather spend that energy uh, on other creative efforts within the realm of Vothros, of course, and hmm. presenting to people other sort of new and fresh ideas in, in the world of extreme uh, art. I'm really intrigued by this idea of using the term collective, and I, um, I intended to ask about it before this interview, but you've... Uh... You've definitely given me the right opportunity to bring it up. Um, obviously, it brings to mind, um, you know, good good friends of the podcast we've had on uh, before. The Ocean Collective used that to refer to, say, a, a nucleus of members that come in and do things that are musicians and also you know, producers and a whole range. But for yourselves, I was wondering what collective entails and what sort of uh, 
support and uh, uh, energy you're drawing from these people that are involved that maybe you wouldn't use the traditional word band member for, for argument's sake. Yeah. So um, for us, it was important to create, um, like you said, a nucleus of people, of everyone that we're working with. Um, and because our vision is not just a musical one, uh, it's a visual one as well. Uh, like I said, we're not just inspired. Our influences are not just musical. They're, we draw influences from film, um, from, from uh, literature, poetry. Um, so we wanted to, to almost present to people an idea that with everyone that we're working with, photographers, uh, videographers, producers, they're all part of this project that is not just a band. It's, we're not just a musical act because our ideas are not just ideas that get expressed only through music. So for us, it was important to um, declare ourselves almost as a collective. And I know that's not, you know, it's not an, uh, a new concept. Of course, there's, like you said, the Ocean Collective. In, in Europe, you know, we have um, Amen Ra with the Church of Ra and what they've been doing, uh, like three or four bands together, but also photographers. So that was an idea and that was a concept that resonated with us deeply. And we wanted to create our version of that um, and, and present to people our interpretation of that. And because we're still a young project and a relatively new project, it is hard for me to yet reveal a lot of the things that, like I said before, fortify the concept of the collective. But just be patient. And in, in the next year, two years, everything is going to make a lot more, a lot more sense. Uh, there's a lot of things that are going on behind the scenes right now, uh, which are very exciting. And I wish I could talk about, um, <laughs> but but yes, um, the collective is um, is a word that has a lot of meaning to us. And um, this was a very, very conscious decision to sort of uh, brand our project as a collective because we want to feel that every single person that we are working with, he is also part of this project. But not just the people that we're working with, people who have purchased music, People who dive into the experience that we present them, we want them to feel that they're part of, the, of this collective, almost kind of like, I don't want to call it a movement because we're not striving for something. We're not preaching an ideology. Um, we're, we're preachers of extremity. Um, if, you know, if, if you like extreme art, then this is the, the collective to sort of um, dab your, your, um, your feet in, I guess. Yeah, understood. Um, I think that's a coming up on a good place to uh, round things up. I do, however, have one more question um, yeah. on the, the concept of collaborators. Pretty amazing to have uh, Nicholas Kvarforth of Sweden's Shining, not Norway's Shining, very different band. Both very yes. good. Go check them out. Um, how did that come about? And how do you make sure that when you get someone like that, uh, that you use their talents to their full potential, um, which I, I think you did on that particular single. Well, thank you. Um, let me just start off by saying um, Shining released a couple of days ago what I think is uh, uh, an album of the year contender. 
um, his his um, the latest one and his work on the latest Shining, which is a self-titled album, I think as well. It's just incredible. So if people haven't checked that out yet, go check out the latest Shining album. It's some of the best material that the band has written um, in, in the last few years. Um, now, to, to answer your question, um, Shining has been a band, and specifically Nicholas has, has been an artist that I've um, been pretty much inspired by by since since my early teenage years you know getting exposed to um some of his uh work specifically homestead uh, not just you know musically but also aesthetically uh lyrically as well it was um it was a project that i felt very close to so i remember when we were recording mass um we were doing the vocals with george we came up to that part of that song and I knew that I wanted someone to come in and and do that sort of recitation of 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 um of those lyrics and I did it myself and you know it sounded it sounded good it sounded fine but I knew that we needed to have someone to sort of come in and and, and do this sort of vocal delivery that's going to really help the song transcend uh to the next level and uh, the first person that came to mind was um, was Nicholas. Uh, obviously, we um, we were talking with um, with with Nicholas before, you know, because he was very intrigued about the part. He asked about the lyrics, um, and uh, you know, obviously, getting him on the phone and talking with him for two hours was an experience in itself. Um, but I'm very grateful and very humbled by his participation on this um, on this album. Now, how do you make sure that you get the most out of an artist like Nicholas? Well, you don't. You present him your idea, uh, you give him whatever art you have to, to give him, and then you just let him do his thing. It's pretty much the same thing with uh, Seth, who created our cover artwork. You don't, you don't mm. really want to tamper with uh, an artist like Nicholas or Seth. You want to feed him with any information that they might need, but then you just let them do their thing. Uh, you don't really want to steer them or guide them to any specific direction. And that's what happened with Nicholas. I just gave him the material. I told him what my vision was, but I was like, just, you know, do your thing. Because it just so happens that your thing has been something that has inspired me for so many years. So... Mm. Yeah, but very, very grateful uh, to have the chance to uh, to collaborate with an artist um, like Nicholas and his magnitude, 100%. It must have been a hell of a feeling to uh, listen for that first time to what he performed then uh, with that in mind with what you delivered. And well, sort of- I, uh, yeah, so I um, he first sent me his vocal because it was like a one-take dry vocal track. And when I heard that without the, the music, I literally got, you know, goosebumps. And the first thing that I did, I just called George and I was like, you know, we, we got it. You know, this is it. This is, you know, this has to go on the record because um, this is something very unique. So, yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. Well, Phil, I really appreciate you coming on, uh, having a chat, and hopefully we can have you back on to discuss some of these uh, 
yet to be revealed projects outside of uh, what's yep. been discussed here today. I'm really looking forward to well, it. If it's if it's the quality that the uh, the, the album has been, uh, we're all going to be blown away, I'm sure. But uh, if you've got well, any last thoughts, I'd love to hear them. And yeah, so I just want to say, you know, thanks for having me, uh, Jordan, and to um, to all those um, to all your listeners. Um, go check out Odium if you haven't done so already. We recently put out a video uh, for Tumor as well, directed by Claudio Marino. Check it out. And, you know, if you like it, uh, make sure you, you follow us on Instagram and check out some of our merch. Um, all of that stuff helps us a lot to keep going. And, uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you for the response towards Odium. It, it really means a lot. And thanks for having me, man.